Welcome to the Gamers Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Ryan, and joining me this week is my co-host, Manny. How's it going, Manny? Going well. Hello, and thank you for inviting me into the Gamers Inn. Yes, yeah. First time guest, although no stranger uh, to Jocelyn, uh, who is who is not not here today. Uh, she's still recovering from COVID. It took me a couple weeks uh, to recover. You can kind of hear my progress um, through the last uh, three shows that I've I've posted. And um, yeah, it's it's a long road, and there's still some some lingering effects. But hopefully, Jocelyn's feeling better for next week when. Uh, she can come on the show and, and share her thoughts on uh, Chris Pratt's Mario. Um, you'll have to wait till next week for Jocelyn's take, but don't worry, Manny, I have you covered for some initial takes. Um, but Manny, thank you so much for being on the show. I I apologize it took this long uh, because I'm so excited. We have like a jam-packed episode, lots of great stuff to talk about tonight. Yeah, I mean, I'm really glad to be on the show, like I said, and I just I kind of have survivor's guilt. I've I've evaded the COVID so far, and I'm sorry that you and Joss have both had to experience that. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a it's been a weird uh, ride, like to to sort of avoid it for the last couple years, and and even then, like avoid it sounds sounds like the wrong way to describe it, because really, like in the last year, uh, even especially the summer, like we were doing uh, like events and 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 going because everything had opened up again and. And it just happened to be, I told this story on Dungeons and Diapers, it, it happened to be um, one local event, and all it really takes is one event. Um, mm-hmm. It was a uh, Peterborough Lakers game, lacrosse. It was the game seven of the final trophy win thing. Uh, and uh, and yeah, it was a super spreader event. It was on the radio the next day of like, hey, if you were at the Lakers game, make sure you, you get tested. And sure enough, uh, Ashley... Picked up COVID there, and I I got it about a week later. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it, it was it was it was not a fun couple of weeks, but I think we're on the we're on the men now, and and that's the main thing. But yeah, if you can avoid it, definitely, I highly recommend avoiding it for sure. Um, but yeah, we've got we've got lots to talk about, and you know what? I want to kick things off with uh, our guest Manny, uh, because it looks like you're playing like one of my favorite. Uh, Nintendo franchises that Nintendo, you know, has gotten better about acknowledging lately. Uh, it's no Star Fox or F Zero, um, but it is uh, it is one that Nintendo had kind of left to the side for a bit. But it's it's had a resurgence, and that's Metroid. You're you're working your way through Metroid. Yeah, yeah. So recently, I got a chance to finally play a Switch, and one of the first things I picked up was uh, Metroid Dread. So played through that loved it it was like going back to yesteryears of like those metroidvania games and so went through that remember that metroid does have a story it's something that you constantly forget when you're playing through metroid just because it seems like a gameplay first thing and then i just dusted off my old old copy of metroid zero and i have been playing through that i never finished that the first time i played it and it's still pretty difficult. So I I think after this, I'm probably going to play some Castlevania games for the same sort of thing. I, I don't even know, but I'm just loving it. But if I can get a copy, if I can get a copy of Metroid Prime, I may go through some other ways of being able to play Metroid Prime. But I want to play that again because I remember loving that. That was actually my first Metroid game. 
was uh, Metroid Prime and then jumping all over the place to play these. So like I've been playing so much Metroid Prime and it's just been sorry, rather Metroid. It's just been this entire thing of it's an accessible game, but getting those hundred percent get all the tanks and that requires some very tricky footwork. Yeah. I uh it's funny you mentioned Metroid Prime is your first Metroid. It's also my first Metroid. Um not for uh, you know, I had a Super NES. Um, I don't think at launch, I think a couple years after launch, um, I'd have to look at my years again. Like we got into, we got into video games a little later and I think we picked up like the NES, the Super NES. We got them as gifts as kids. And I think it was quite late in the generation. We might've even got the Super NES first. And then my Nana's like, well, if they like video games. There's this other one, the NES. And, and that's kind of how we got into video games. But I, I think, you had um, I, I knew more of Samus thanks to Smash Brothers on the N64. And then that led to the excitement of Metroid Prime on GameCube, which like you was my first full uh, Metroid adventure that I played through. And I just remember everyone being so hung up on the fact that it wasn't a side scrolling Metroid game. It was this uh, first person exploration game. And to me, I was like, this sound, this is perfect. And you know what? You get to, you know, morph into a ball and it turns the camera third person. What, what more could you ask for? Like, th- this is great. And uh, I, I know now, like, obviously there was, there is something special about the 2D Metroid experience, but now I'm kind of back to missing the 3D Metroid experience and the fact that you think, oh, I'd love to play Metroid Prime again. I agree with you. Most of the internet agrees with you, but they, they thought Nintendo was going to announce uh, a remaster never did happen uh yet but uh i'm right there with you i i don't even i think i think i have the metroid prime trilogy um that i got on the wii u which is like the wii copy i think it was like 10 bucks um when they launched wii games you could buy in the wii u eShop. um but i guess that that's past now because all those eShops are closed down so like i don't even know how you play metroid prime without hoping um that Nintendo uh, um, does that remaster, but I, I'm sure there are, are other ways. Uh, it'd be very tough. I don't even know. I don't even want to look at eBay as to how much a Metroid Prime <laughs> copy would cost. Uh, it's probably a collector's item at this point. It's going to be difficult to find. And I know that Metroid Prime 4 is one of those vaporware that Nintendo says they're eventually making and soon it'll come out. And I, I'm not going to hold my breath for it. But yeah, I do want to. I do think that it's one of those series that. I don't think there's been a bad entry in it. And I'm sure somebody's going to message and and say, like, what are you talking about? This version of Metroid was garbage. But I I have yet to play a bad Metroid that I haven't loved. And the only thing that's ever stopped me from beating it is just like, yeah, a little bit of frustration with like trying to 100% something. Yeah, um, I'll get ahead of the uh, the discord uh <laughs> as people listen through the episode i think like a lot i don't think it's um so on the wii there was a there was a metro game made by uh, i think it was team ninja so it was uh back when and 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 I, around the time when nintendo was basically saying like anybody not anybody but um not us folks you guys make metroid we'll just kind of produce it from afar and i think that was one of them it was other m on the wii and it was a it was a side scroller, uh, but had first person m- moments where you pointed the Wiimote at the TV and that changed the perspective to first person. 
um, like a really neat concept, but I think the core issue there was the story. Uh, I think from what I recall, like Samus wasn't allowed to use her powers until um, like her boss said it was okay. And I remember that was one of the, the issues that people put forward. And, and there were other performance issues. I think there was like a critical bug uh, that oh. you could hit at the end of the game that would like, you know, lock your save uh there was there was there were issues with that game for sure um but that one really uh deviated from the formula as well just trying to experiment with like how can we make metroid more wii friendly you know like with uh side scrolling and and first person views with the wiimote pointed at the screen um i did play through it i mean it had it had metroid s stuff but it's been so long i i really don't remember a whole lot about it i just remember it got a lot of flack at launch for sure um i i don't recall ever playing that game man okay i'll that's the one i'll avoid i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure there's like a wikipedia entry that'll give me like the chronological way of playing through metroid and maybe that's how i'm gonna do it here um i haven't played all through the prime series either because i've played one and two but i haven't played three yet so that's why i was kind of wanting to hit prime if i was able to it just yeah it, it sucks about the uh not being having a quick and easy way of being able to play it yeah yeah it's uh it is unfortunate i think that you know uh nintendo really likes to uh you know exist within the current platform and right now the switch is really is is doing really well and there is a good chunk of Nintendo's past products you can get a hold of, but like there is always that gap that that's existed, um, you know, where GameCube games still remain to this day the hardest ones to uh, purchase from Nintendo to play on a system. Like I, it's never been emulated from a virtual console standpoint. Like you can't purchase uh, the games on well the the Nintendo Virtual Console. They never got that far. Like Basically, N64 is as far as they got. And then because the Wii U could emulate the Wii, because it had a Wii mode, they were able to figure out a way so you could buy uh, Wii games on your Wii U and play them in Wii mode. And that's kind of how they uh, they did that. Um, but yeah, GameCube still to this day remains to be like one of those ones that's kind of locked in the void. And I really hope we we get to a point where Nintendo figures out how to how to sell us those games uh, again on the switch. And it's something that comes up a lot, you know, Metroid fans, uh, fire emblem fans. There's like a whole portion of the franchise that is locked in, you know, the GameCube slash Wii dungeon. So uh, it's, it's tough. It's tough uh, to be a Nintendo fan of, of past franchises, but yeah, Metroid zero is a great place to start. I think chronologically it would go Metroid zero, which is a remake of one, and has some a little extra stuff in there. And then if you have a 3DS, I highly recommend the remake of Samus Returns, which is by the same developers that did Dread. Um, so you're in good hands there. And then I think after that is, of course, Super Metroid, which you can get on your Switch, and uh, and then Metroid Fusion, and then, right, and then you're back into Dread. And I think Metroid Prime, that series takes place somewhere between super and fusion it's an off mission sort of thing it's like a side story yeah yeah it's uh it's one of those ones that's like 
technically the cliffhanger for Prime 3 is still left unresolved. And there's there's a couple other games in there too where it's like that story is continued but but left unresolved and is is obviously not acknowledged in the 2D games. And Nintendo's gone back and forth of like, oh, they exist within the same canon. Oh, they're, you know, they're separate in the sense that this is the 2D Metroid and this is the 3D Metroid. It's still Samus, but like those adventures remain separate and, you know, they don't affect each other. But I think the Prime series makes reference to some of the other Metroid events. It's, it's, it's obviously it's a typical like Nintendo lore. Like we don't need to get involved in the uh, Hyrule Historia timeline, (laughs) (laughs) you know, if we're talking about, you know, Nintendo and their lore, um, Metroid's probably the one that makes the most sense to be honest. Uh, cause it is fairly linear in terms of its adventure, but, um, yeah, no, that is so exciting that you're playing through those. And, and I, uh, I, I remember when dread was announced, I played through super Metroid for the first time with like the super NES controller, the wireless version for the switch. And it was such a great experience. My first time playing through that game and it, uh, really set me up for Metroid dread in a way that was, uh, was really cool. So um, I'm really excited to hear you playing through those again. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So hopefully keep me posted on how that goes. I'd, I'd love to hear how your adventure continues with Metroid. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you updates. And then, of course, that's all in between the major game that I play that I actually podcast about, which is uh, World of Warcraft. Um, and we're reaching soon the release of the next expansion dragonflight that is a lot of stuff happening they've been putting out all the articles about like how things are going to work it's it is a very precarious time for wow right now because we're coming off the back of shadowlands which has had its failings it's coming off the back of BFA, which had its failings. And it's how many times can you have expansions with failing? So it really feels like Dragonflight has to nail it. It almost feels like Shadowlands had to nail it and there's now too much on Dragonflight. Um, but that said, what I've played on the beta is just so enjoyable, so don't have all these strings that I need to or hoops that I need to jump through in order to do what I want. And I'm really looking forward to this. I just I, I'm just crossing my fingers that once we get to endgame, because going through the initial part of Shadowlands, the leveling experience, it was great. It wasn't until we hit that kind of low that at the end of the first expansion that it really wore thin quickly. So I'm just I'm trying to keep my hype measured for Dragonflight here. Yeah, I mean, uh, when it comes to WoW, I've always been that player that just levels through the content and then usually drops drops off. There was a couple expansions where I dabbled a bit further, you know, did some raids and 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 whatnot and had a lot of fun. But it's um, as my game time has dwindled, it's always it's always MMOs are always the first to go. And I and I think that. It, it just comes down to like, there's so many experiences out there and it's, you know, MMOs can take up a lot of time and, and can be a commitment. And, and that commitment can be a lot of fun. Uh, Cause I know like from, you know, gaming with a community like that is, it, it levels up the experience. There's a reason multiplayer games are, are so popular, right? 
Um, that being said, I, I did not, uh, Shadowlands was the first WoW expansion that I did not buy at launch, did not play at launch. And I think it, it, it did come down to like, okay, I think, I think it's time to kind of let this one go for a bit. And it's, it's funny cause I was, uh, I, I was doing something with, it was Amazon prime and they were giving away Starcraft remastered. And I had to like log, I wanted to log into the launcher to make sure I had activated it correctly. And Blizzard was like, hey, how about we give you Shadowlands because you logged in between X dates. I think it was early September. And I'm like, oh, I'd, yeah, sure, why not? And, you know, Jocelyn was saying, I guess they usually give away all the previous expansions if you buy, like, the newest expansion. Like, they do that, that catch-up feature or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, I haven't jumped back in. I mean, mainly the, the biggest thing is, like, it's a subscription to play. And I think it's, like, I mean, you would know you're, you're Canadian as well. Like it's like 20 bucks Canadian a month. Is it not to play if you're just subbing for a month? Yeah, it, it really feels bad to sub for a month. It used to be $15 because they had $15 US, $15 Canada, doesn't matter. But then they adjusted it for different markets. And now it's $20 a month if you're paying once uh, one month at a go. And you can't even buy the cards for a single month. You have to buy them in like, multiple month increments so i i don't dabble with the one one month thing because it just it makes no sense if you are just jumping into play a little bit but the way that i justify it is one i i do not have the kids and the wife to take care of like other uh, hosts on this show um i get to play at my own time in the evenings um other than when I am spending spending time with family and relationships. So I have that time. I put, let's say it is, it is 20 bucks a month, but I, I pay for the year. And it means that if I play for two evenings, instead of going out to the uh, going out to watch a movie, it's it's already made its money back 10 times over there. And I just, again, the community is always there. I love um the friends that i've made playing this game and the conversations that i've had but if if you've if you've stepped away if you are limited on time yeah it is a time vampire and i just say enjoy your small um really curated experiences because you can get so much out of playing god of war the the last god of war and that becomes such an experience versus uh, a raid night that you may or may not complete over the course of a month. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, and and that's the thing for me, it really comes down to, I've, I've always been like a campaign solo single player adventure. I love Nintendo games. Like that's, that's where I really, uh, you know, spend my time playing games. And, and honestly, like it just came down to, like you said, uh, God of War Ragnarok is coming out, you know, start of November. Um, I think Dragonflight is, is that it's, it's early December. Is it not like it's, it's around that time November frame. 28th, end of November. So that's why yeah. I made that comparison. It's like, Hey, November, which one would you want to get? And it's like such a curated experience that you're going to get from God of War mm-hmm. that I think if you have a limited amount of time, like that's where it's best to spend that time. Yeah. But by all means, like, you know, I I know a lot of folks that love their MMOs and that's awesome. Like I think like really as long as you're having fun and you're enjoying it, that's what you should be doing when it comes to a to a gaming uh experience, you know, like if WoW is what you want to play, that's awesome. If God of War is what you want to play, that's awesome. 
I still love hearing all the stories uh, about WoW, and I, I see it on my feed in Twitter constantly, and I'm more than happy to 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 hear about it. So, you know, I don't. That being said, I don't know a whole lot about Dragonflight. I watched the intro cinematic. I know it's coming out now. I know it's coming out end of November. Um, so, like, what's what's the? You're, you said you're playing the beta. Like, what's the big thing? Like, campaign wise, like, what's what's the big draw here like the dragons are back is that's the idea right like the dragons have all returned type thing yeah it's it's kind of that the narrative is matching the cell for dragonflight with dragonflight you're going to the dragon isles you're you're returning back to azeroth after being off in this strange land for the last two years for that expansion and it's kind of like coming back to the fundamentals of wow that sense of exploration of this lost uh area the sense of hey we're redoing the system so you don't have all of these prerequisite tasks the quote-unquote wow chores that used to be uh such a thing in the first part of shadowlands are gone now and now it is like, what do you want to do to uh, explore this world? You can, of course, play as somebody who does the big raids. You can do the player versus player content. You can do the five man dungeons and go through that. But on top of that, they've like built out expansions worth of just professions. And the professions are so in-depth that you might say oh yeah i'm a warrior but really what you identify yourself at is like the best blacksmith on your realm and you can create things that nobody else can create yet or you can be a jack of all trades that like feeds all of this stuff into other people so like it it's almost that professions is becoming another end game pillar and then from that you can really just do something uh, go so in depth with that that you're like, okay, I'm going to play for a little bit tonight. And you spend all your time just working on that. And I know that sounds very strange, but this system has been built that it's quite engaging, quite fun. You will go adventuring around for like rare materials, like a dragon heart or something, something along those lines. And that will be your, your adventure going out in the world, doing solo content to build up your empire. I think that is really kind of, something that wow has been lacking professions have always have been quite uh slim quite uh surface level for the longest time and the fact that they built it out like this has been so good and then they're just reimagining a lot of the a lot of those systems a lot of the stuff to make it just a lot more friendly for people there there isn't this entire okay we're in the next season and i've got to relearn how i need to get all the powerful stuff there isn't some new system of what you calls it and who who it is and if you, you could ask joss this where the new raid would come out and you would have to learn all over again how in the world you're supposed to navigate your way through this system of power and they've removed that it was it was a a tech term that they had called borrowed power abilities and strength and stuff that was not your own and then at the end of a period it would all just disappear from you and you wouldn't have it anymore and that became very frustrating for players and they've cleared that away you build up your character it stays with you 
and you get to just play your own way. So they've brought these talent trees in and the talent trees allow you to build an entire loadout or import a loadout from somebody else and completely customize how you play your character in a way that we haven't seen in, I want to say nearly a decade. I want to say eight, maybe nine years. We haven't had the level of customization that these talent trees have offered because they disappeared in Mista Pandaria, which, yeah, I think was nine years ago. So it's a lot of bringing WoW back to um, just a, a lot of fun stuff that we used to have that kind of got streamlined and systemized and lost. Hmm. Well, that's really good. No, I, I think that I think like when I when I hear a lot about WoW like and, and how it's changed over the years, you know, I feel like that's a good sort of path to take. And I think it's what a lot of folks have been asking for, especially longtime players to, to get back to, you know, more. It sounds like there's just more options, more stuff to do with like, you know, um, the, the general gameplay um, as a, like, I think that for me with wow the loop has been like level up content get ready for raids and and it sounds like they're kind of trying to address the 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 metagame the in between the stuff you're doing while you're preparing for the raids while you're doing um this the the campaign content you know the leveling up content is is you know putting more into professions and that sort of thing like um and and that goes back to like the way i played it was you know subbing for a month two months playing through the level up content, like getting my character that extra 10 levels or whatever it has to be uh, going through the content and then basically hitting a wall of like, Oh, I got to grind for gear. And and it sounds like what they've done here is like, okay, th- that is obviously still there, but while you're grinding for gear, you can also focus on these new systems we've put in to kind of like, um, I don't want to say pad it out, but like give you more stuff to do essentially. That isn't um, either repeating content or, or, you know, uh, stuff like that. So, um, like what, what is the region they're going to again with Dragonflight? So it's back on Azeroth again, but it's like, we're exploring some long lost Island. Uh, yeah. Okay. The dragon isles. So the dragon isles are actually one of the best laid out expansions in time, in terms of lore, because the dragon isles were mentioned way back in vanilla, early vanilla that they were out there. It's something that they talked about in Battle for Azeroth, two expansions back, so almost five year, years, four or five years back, that had been talked about. And it also brings back a bunch of characters that people who have played World of Warcraft know from um, Burning Crusade, from Vanilla, from Wrath of the Lich King, that uh, that we all have met and and have played with. And now it's them returning to their ancient homeland that was lost ages ago. And there's, of course, always ancient lands that were lost that we keep discovering. But this one isn't coming out of nowhere. It is something that's that's being put forward. Well, and and it's so funny because, again, like, wow, like Warcraft has always had such a like a deep lore and even a mention in Warcraft 2, I'm sure can be mined uh for and and has been mined for content in in wow i mean when you have like three rts's setting up this universe and then all of a sudden you have this this mmo it's like okay like now we've got 
I don't know, seven or eight expansions that they've, they've, they've built out. And I think they, they kind of, they ran out of the big stuff from the RTSs in the first two or three. And then they had to kind of like, you know, find more to do and expand the story. And, and there's been expansions where they go explore something new. They've revisited, um, you know, the, the burning Legion returning and, um, and then everybody fighting again, (laughs) you know, um, I think Shadowlands felt like probably the, you know, from, outside looking in it looked to be like the one where and maybe this was maybe it's downfall but it looked to be the one where it was like oh this is like a wholly unique to wow experience like it doesn't really pull a lot outside of the sylvanas being evil stuff like it doesn't really pull from the existing lore like we're continuing the story in our own direction without like and again i haven't played it this is just me outside looking in i I could be completely wrong but it felt like this was them taking it in the wow direction, you know, like we don't, we're not pulling at existing threads that were set up earlier in the RTS. Like this is, this is pushing wow forward for better or worse. Like, was that the case or was Shadowlands? It's like still pulling from past storylines. So Shadowlands felt like there was a bit of retcon. Like there were a piece, there were like hooks in it that were hooked to things that have happened in the past. We knew about like, the helm of domination coming from uh, coming from a place. There was always this misfit of where the undead magics came from versus like the demons that initially started them in like the RTS, like Warcraft three. And it kind of explained that, but then the main big bad, they kept on saying like, Oh, this was his plan. And this was him moving these pieces together. And there was a lot of talk of, oh, he's been planning it for a million years, but they never really paid it off correctly. So it just, it felt really forced in terms of story storyline-wise. Um, Sylvanas and her entire shift towards this was three expansions in the making. And so people, like, that didn't feel like, uh, like it was coming out of nowhere, but people kind of tired of the Sylvanas thing. And then, of course... We just come off of BFA where it was War Chief gone bad, which was something they had done with uh, Mr. Pandaria. But Mr. Pandaria, one, it was novel, and two, I felt like the character arc was a bit better written. And so there were there were many complaints about just the jailer in particular not being a well fleshed out character and being and being so pivotal to the story but not really being involved in the story so you're right it did feel like something that didn't feel connected but in the ways that it was connected it was connected for all the wrong reasons Hmm. yeah i mean i i think i'll eventually get around to subbing for a month just to jump in because i i did hear like the leveling content was was very cool and and i mean it has been a long time since I've played WoW, and it is it is rather tempting. But it sounds like Dragonflight is is heading in the right direction, and I I I really do hope that it's received well by by fans because I know they've uh, I've I've heard I've heard the the, the complaints from uh, Shadowlands and and Battle for Azeroth. It was always about content that I was never going to experience, but from an M- MMO perspective, like that's that stuff that content has to be good. You know, and I I almost find like, you know, we, we heard a lot about how um, 
you know that end game content struggled and and i i hope blizzard can has figured it out with dragonfly and able to provide folks with uh with a good balance um of content so i i really do look forward to launch because i want to know i want to hear from folks i want to hear how they're how it's being received and and people are are, are liking it or not because i i still care about warcraft it's uh, that was my first mmo and really honestly it's probably been the only one that i've i've played regularly right so uh i want i want to see it succeed for sure yeah i honestly think that the one thing that people aren't able to explore right now is that the team got a hundred new designers when they merged annexed um bought out a company and those guys are all going to world of warcraft and if they're able to pump out a lot of unique content in a faster timeline then we're not going to have another shadowlands it's going to be quite a different story Uh, but we're not going to see that with the initial launch it's going to be how much sooner we get the new content and i think that's that's what i'm really interested in uh that's what they have said they're doing and we'll see if they can uh make good on their word cool well i will be uh on the lookout for reviews closer to the end of november and i'll we'll look forward to your thoughts on for azeroth when uh when the game launches so can't wait um i'm uh you know here's the thing i i know i've been (laughs) i've been off for three weeks and i feel like yeah i should probably have tons of video games to talk about but um it's been so crazy at the house with uh, we had, like I said, we had COVID and then the kids were sick. They, they didn't test positive for COVID, but, but they were sick. And then they had hand, foot, and mouth disease, which requires them to stay home until until that clears. So it was like it was about three weeks of just, you know, working at home, either sick or taking care of sick kids and not a lot of time to play games. And unfortunately, not a whole lot of time to uh, play with a new toy that I got uh, my hands on, which is the Steam Deck. Um, it was uh, it was something I pre-ordered back in May, shortly after we had uh, Lou, my my co-host from Zombies Ate My Podcast, on, and he was raving about the Steam Deck. He actually got one closer to launch, and um, you know Scott Johnson from Core. He's been basically every episode of Core is like this plays great on the Steam Deck, and so that's what I'm going to talk about. Uh, that's essentially his what he's been playing segments. So. It's it's really like for me the Steam Deck was something like okay I I do I I do need to get my hands on it and I just I just hoped and fingers crossed that Nintendo wouldn't announce a Switch Pro um, once I had had finally got my hands on it and hasn't happened yet so I think we're good for now you know knock on wood but uh, I did pick up a Steam Deck um, for those wondering if you go to reserve one you don't even have to pre-order right now I had to put a reservation in. But now you can just buy it and it'll ship when it ships. Um, So there's no waiting. Uh, The Steam Deck dock is also available now. Uh, I don't think I'll be picking that one up. I have not. And this is the thing. I have the Steam Deck. I've played maybe like all in total, maybe like five hours on the device. Um, So I haven't really played a whole lot. I've really just been testing a bunch of stuff uh, with the Steam Deck. And I'll say this. The battery life is not great. Um, but you know, that is a common thread. If, if I, if that was going to stop me from buying one, I would have canceled the pre-order a while ago, but like, it is one of those clear things that you look at and say like, okay, this is like probably top of their list for the steam deck too. 
how do we address battery life? Um, and I feel like that was a common criticism of the switch when it launched, when they say, oh, five to six hours of battery life. And, and you know, smartphones, I think, have really spoiled us uh, where you get you get a day, essentially, or more, depending on your usage. But like when you think of your phone, the battery is essentially the whole phone, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, the Steam Deck will get about two to four hours, depending on what you're doing. Um, so if you don't have a full charge on that thing and you're going out into the world, it's going to die while you're playing something. Um, it's gonna, you're going to get a low battery notification. And I, and I think you have to understand that going in, that this is not a device, even though it is portable, it's not really a device designed for you to not have a plan in place of, <laughs> to deal with the battery. Um, whether that is having your charging cable handy and, and playing while plugged in um, when you can, if you're out and about, uh, or having maybe a battery backup, um, something like that. But the battery life is is not great. But for me, I've I've been at home playing, and for the most part, uh, outside of having needing a longer USB C cable, it's I've just been sort of hovering around a um, an outlet, so sort of just to kind of have it plugged in. That being said, you know when it is charged and you're playing portable. It's it's totally cool. Like it works great. It is a portable PC in your hands. Um, your first impression when you take it out of the case is like, holy crap, this thing is huge. It is big. Uh, but when you have it in your hands and you're playing the Steam Deck, I, I really feel like you that thought immediately goes away because it it does feel good in your hands. Like it's 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 not it's not too heavy. Like it it it, it doesn't hurt to play for long periods of time. Um, if you're, if you're sort of sitting up and playing like a, like in a normal portable fashion, um, uh, of course, if you're like doing the whole, you've, you've probably experienced this with the switch. Like if you're playing, laying down and you have it over your head, like your, your arms are going to get tired. It's not, it's not by no means light, but like, I, I do find that when I'm playing games, like it is comfortable. Um, the, the, it's, it's quite long, you know, like there's a reason they called it a steam deck it it really does feel like you're you're kind of look at it as like oh this thing's this quite, thing's quite big um but it, it again like i said it's comfortable and again you can you you immediately get past that like sort of initial like shock of 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 taking it out of the case because it, immediately you realize like oh i can download all these games so you load up your steam library um i tested out a bunch of different stuff uh of course i played through portal uh, it was fantastic. Hadn't done that in a while, so it was always good to get back to that one. Um, I'm currently playing through Portal 2. Runs fantastic. Um, I threw a bunch of demos at it from the Steam Next Fest that's been running, um, and those run really well. Um, the thing is, like, to keep in mind that the Steam Deck is running, it is a Linux system. It's not Windows. You can install Windows on it, although like it's likely not worth going through the trouble. Um, but you can, if you want, there's, I'm pretty sure there's no ability to dual boot. Like you can't have windows and steam OS on the device mm-hmm. at the same time. Um, although they do say they're working on that. And I think that might be like a good solution. If you do want to have like a windows partition to kind of run, you know, um, specific windows environments, uh, and, and other launchers. Uh, but that being said, people have kind of found ways to 
use the existing SteamOS, which does have a really strong uh, compatibility layer through Proton to run Windows executables and and uh, and games. So for the most part, when you're playing games, you're running a Windows file, a Windows, a game made for Windows, but it's running in a Linux environment using. Uh, they call it Proton, but it's like a, I guess a fork of of Wine. And as someone who used Wine, you know, a decade and a half ago in university, when kind of playing around with Linux, I had a friend who was really into Linux, and so we he was kind of showing me how he could run actually run World of Warcraft on Linux through Wine, and it didn't run that great. <laughs> You know, like I was just like, well, why don't we just install Windows and then it'll run perfectly? And he's like, but but I can run it on Linux. You know, it's like, yeah, you can. I see that. (laughs) (laughs) It's not running very well, but you can do it. Um, And and it's come a long way like that work. And I feel like the Steam Deck is like is a really good realization of that. So um, and I mean, just in terms of like throwing a more recent game, I mean, it's not even that recent, but I was playing through Titanfall 2. that gets into the weirdness of like there's the origin sort of thin client that will run on top of uh titanfall 2 and for the most part like it worked quite well like um it's just a quick login to my ea account and and i was off to uh to play titanfall 2 so uh, again i'm still putting it through its paces i'll probably have more to say as i play more games i have yet to like buy a game and basically like hey i'm gonna play this solely on the steam deck i've kind of just been poking around and playing some demos and some past games and stuff. And, and, uh, you know, I know I have a large team library. I could probably jump back into (laughs) of games that I have not played yet, but I have a few games, uh, coming out in just a week or so that I'm kind of taking a look at smaller indie games that were part of the steam next fest. And, um, like I said, in terms of the compatibility layer, like most games that are coming out are targeting, um, the steam deck and, and, you know, doing their darndest to run, 100% 100% on the Steam Deck. Um, you do notice some compatibility issues, some slight glitches, some cutscenes that don't run. That seems to be the biggest thing I've seen in terms of incompatibility is like instead of a cutscene, you'll see um, what looks to be like a test screen, sort of like what you would see if like a TV station went off air. I know like, I mean, you'll know what I'm talking about, but I- I'm old enough to know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you turn it on, it's just that like weird blaring sound and it's just like the the test page or whatever. It's like, oh, TV station is down. Um, I see that on occasion. But uh, for the most part, like I'm I'm really enjoying it. I mean, this is coming from someone who's fallen farther and farther away from PC gaming, um, not because I don't enjoy playing games on PC. It's just I much prefer the quick sit down, turn the TV on, play a console game. Like I really love that experience. And the Steam Deck kind of captures that perfectly. Um, that being said, I do need to put more testing into it. And uh, I want to test it out with a with a dock. I have a USB-C dock that I use for the MacBook that I'm going to plug into the Steam Deck and, and do some tests to see how it runs on the TV. But for the most part, like I did buy it to play, basically play a lot of the indie games that, you know, come across our desk here at the Gamers Inn, um, you know, playing smaller titles and not necessarily trying to play like Elden Ring or um, or even WoW on this thing. Although like be pretty cool to play a portable WoW, but like it really comes down to like it does its best to emulate like the keyboard and mouse with the it has some touch pads on it that work quite well. I don't know if you did you ever try the Steam controller that came out a few years ago? 
No, no, I did not. But I, I will say that um, a friend of uh, for Azeroth has been playing WoW on their Steam Deck, not for raiding or things that require like high dexterity, but when they want to do some of their more calmer events, they've been play, uh, they've been loading it up on their uh, Steam Deck and playing through that. So if they're doing professions or anything like that, they've been doing it. So it is possible. Yeah. Yeah, and and that being said, you're absolutely right. Like they, they Steam has done a lot of work with starting with the the Steam controller and then um working towards building these like these whole systems within Steam to allow anybody to set up a custom uh controller mapping for any game. And you can browse all of these different configurations and download like this is the most popular one, like, you know, like this has been and then developers can go in and say, okay, this one works really well. Let's let's put this as our preferred one as well. And then when you load that game in, it'll automatically download that configuration. And, you know, like your friend playing WoW on the Steam Deck, like there are a lot of ways. I've, I've been kind of like, there's a lot you can do with your Steam Deck. And, and I've, again, like I'm trying not to get sucked into the deep end just yet because I'm, I'm still scratching the surface on it. But like, there's a lot you can do. Like there's, you can... Like I said, you can install other launchers from within the Steam desktop mode. Like you can, you can quit out of gaming mode and go to what they call desktop mode, which loads up the Linux platform, and you can install other launchers uh, through like a compatibility mode and install EA Desktop and get access to your EA Play subscription. Um, I've seen you can get like there is like a Linux third-party launcher for epic and gog and you can get access to those games and run them through the compatibility layer within steam so there's all that stuff that i want to explore like i have cyberpunk 2077 sitting on my gog account i've got you know obviously ea play through xbox game pass on ea desktop and you know i think like my i really i I think i have access to i think i have a code for mass effect legendary edition i would love to try playing that on the go like and and kind of seeing how that works. So like, you're not limited to your steam library. This isn't like Nintendo saying like, Hey, you can only play Nintendo games here or games that are on our eShop. You can like steam is allowing, like valve is allowing you to basically install whatever you want, you know? And, and if you want, you can wipe it all and put windows on and just treat it like a computer and it'll just work. Right. So like the options are endless. And I know, um, and again, like on, on Scott's show, Play Retro, he's talked a lot about emulation. Like there's a big emulation scene on the Steam Deck as well. And it's basically like a one-click install to get that all set up. So like there are so many different things you can do with this device um, because it's a PC, you know? And I think that's that's also very exciting. So I'll I'll keep playing with it. I'll keep, I'll report back soon. I mean, like one of my favorite things right off the bat when I was opening it up is that it comes with a case like so often we are just programmed to uh, buy like a new portable. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, but then you got to spend like a hundred bucks on a case so it doesn't get damaged. No, man. It, yeah, it just comes with one. It's great. Yeah. I am really glad that that's a thing because I've literally thought of just like iPhones now not coming with the charger and all these <laughs> things that you have to buy immediately upon buying the device. So I'm really glad that they're including that. But I kind of wanted to ask you one thing yeah. because I mean I'm a PC gamer first and foremost and with the with the Switch, I haven't taken it out of the dock. It's pretty much just attached to my TV and that's when I'll I'll play it. 
um with the with the uh with the deck which rooms are you playing it in like how how are you how is it fitting into your lifestyle because for me i just i couldn't pick it up because i would just be playing on my computer anyways yeah and i and i think that like so for me um i've been working from home for the last two and a half years and and some before that as well and i think like my office look i'll be honest with you my office needs to be cleaned there's like a pathway from the door to my chair so that I can do podcasting and I can do work. And like, I've got stuff from three or four different offices in here. And, and yes, uh, I did. I was complaining about this at Thanksgiving and my father-in-law is like, well, you need to stop buying new toys. And I'm like, look, you're not wrong. It's like 50%, you know, boxes that need to be, you know, torn down like boxes that need to be unpacked. But also like a lot of stuff in here is from, is from the work office as well that I just haven't found the time to put somewhere. Um, so like, that's where I kind of like if I'm in here all day working, I'm in here sometimes podcasting. I, I like to be out of the office. So that's where like gaming in the living room has been a lot of fun. And, and you mentioned, yeah, my switch is also in the dock pretty much 95 to 100 percent of the time, you know. Uh, but obviously with the Steam Deck, I, I have been playing a lot, a lot of portable. And I find like if I'm playing without it plugged in, I'm playing on the couch in the living room. When I usually have it plugged in, I'm playing a little bit before bed and I have a little outlet just beside the bed. So I'll like sit up in bed and just play there. So like that's where I have been playing. Um, I think right now there is still that novelty of like being able to play these PC games on the go. Like these are games that I can't get access on the Switch. Um, These are games that uh, would maybe suffer if I were to try to play them on like a iPhone streaming slash backbone setup. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Like, I think when I was thinking of picking this up, there was that novelty of like, oh, I kind of want to try to emulate the switch experience. And, you know, because a lot of games I'm playing are, you know, more, um, simpler titles, more indie titles, like ones that aren't again, like the Elden Rings or, or, um, you know, the call of duty is the world that require like that next generation of hardware, I should be able to play Rogue Legacy 2 on the go and then be like, you know what, I'm going to play on the TV for a bit and just like have a USB setup so I can just plug it in and pick up a controller that's synced with the device and and pick up where I left off and in docked mode. Like that's that's kind of the dream, right? To have that flexibility, but with a PC, you know, like the PC has always been this thing. I've never been a laptop gamer um, and I and I do understand that there is that like there is already this world I'm discussing, which is laptop gaming and just plugging a, you know, an HDMI cable into your TV. I know a lot of people that do that, but for me, PC gaming has always been giant tower in the corner of your office hooked up to a monitor. And, um, I'm just excited to, to do something a little different. And the steam deck really is like one of those things where, you know, it is, it's kind of a, it's really cool to be playing these games on the go, but you're absolutely right. Like, at what stage do I do the thing with the switch where I just plug it in and, and it just becomes a PC again? Like I, I think I really do like playing portable, but um, we'll see like long-term whether it shakes out, but um, it has been a lot of fun to play portable, but you're right. Like if you have a PC and you have a- easy access and that's where you prefer to play, if you're not going to be playing a lot of handheld and that's not really your jam, it might not be worth like picking one up, but I think like there's it really depends on the type of games you're playing too. you know, like 
Um, you do have to jump through some hoops to play non-Steam games, and even then you might run into some compatibility issues. But for the most part, um, I'm playing a lot of handheld mode. Uh, and I, I do want to test stock mode at some point. I know it's gotten better over the months as they've done more work with it. So I think now's a good time to to jump in and test that out. So yeah, like I think it's a, it's a really cool toy, a really neat piece of tech, and I'm looking forward to seeing where they go with it uh in the coming years because i feel like it's been successful enough where valve will uh will keep running with it so uh what do we got next here oh well here's the thing we got lots of fun news to discuss um but first i want to thank our patron our october patron thank you so much Ginny, for being a patron of the gamers in you can uh, join our October patron by going to patreon.com slash the gamers in and supporting the show directly also, if you're in our Discord, you probably have seen that we've been doing uh, our next TGI Game Club. Jocelyn talked about it a couple weeks ago on the show. Uh, we have started it. It's for God of War 2018. As we rocket towards the launch of, of Ragnarok, which is coming in just a month now. So we are replaying that game, or some of us are playing it for the first time. And um, it's available on PlayStation 4. There's an upgrade uh, patch for the PS5. And of course, just launched on PC and is Steam Deck verified. So um, if you want to jump in, go to bit.ly slash TGI Discord. Now, Manny, this is the big one. Uh, we finally heard Chris Pratt's Mario. Um, and I think more importantly, we've we've seen the first look at the Super Mario Brothers movie from Illumination and Nintendo. And I think it looks fantastic. It's It's hard not to see this trailer and be like, there's a lot of good going on here. Yeah. The the visuals, I don't think anybody is criticizing the visuals. It is so authentically Mario. I apologize. There is one visual that people are criticizing. Apparently Mario's uh, flat in the caboose and people are wondering where the cake is. <laughs> <laughs> but aside from that, it is there's so much in the trailer that are Easter eggs, the different things that are that are part of Mario. So authentic, uh, so authentic to the series. I loved it. I looked at that. And I said, that is like, that is the high resolution Mario game that we're going to get in like 10 years from now. We're going to get this in that kind of resolution. It is such a perfectly realized Mario. And I love how the trailer teases at things, but doesn't give away everything. Like I th actually think as a trailer, this is done, done really well. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, it feels like a very good teaser, um, uh, for, for this movie. And I mean, honestly, like it's been a long wait. I think the voice cast, this movie wasn't, the partnership was announced like five or six years ago then, and basically announced like, Hey, we're working on this and it'll be ready when it's ready, but we're working on it and it might not go anywhere. It might not happen, but we're working on it. And then like fast forward five years, we got the voice cast. Um, and that, launched a you know nine months of of online discussion um then we finally got this trailer and i think i think like you're absolutely right the visuals they nail it um you know bowser looks fantastic like the first thing you're introduced to in this in this teaser is the the might of king koopa and and i must say i might i might be wrong here but i feel like bowser lately with mario games has been turned into um a more comedic uh bad guy um you know fumbles a lot 
you know, he's he's still he's still the bad guy and he's still um the reason you're going on your adventure, but for the most part when you fight him, he's he's a bit of a a bumbling bad guy. Uh and again, this is just a teaser, but I get the sense from this teaser that they're setting up Bowser to be this very big bad. Um I mean, M- Mario's probably, you know, going to gonna one up him for sure but however like in this in this teaser like they're really playing him up as he's a he's a very he's a very bad guy and he's to be feared and i and i don't think we've gotten that from mario in a long time like bowser has been a bit of a pushover i feel like there has been that there has been that 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 bowser kind of like he he tries and then gets foiled again by the meddling plumbers but I think it was the last game where they had the mega Bowser where he became like super large and like all dark and, uh, and, uh, and clouds and everything where he seemed very threatening again. And I guess this is a continuation of that, except that I've never seen him do the mega breath out of that mega Bowser form that like flamethrower. It's always been like one little spit of flame that's gone and he devastates in this. So you're right. He's, he is a real, real threat. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I I was when I mean, we'll talk voice cast as it comes up, but I really feel like Jack Black as Bowser when it was announced was like, OK, yeah, I'm fine with that. I mean, Bowser's never really had a voice. He's kind of just like roared, you know, so you had to give him a voice if you if you were to if you were to bring him into this movie. And I think Jack Black does a fantastic. I didn't even recognize it as Jack Black with the first line when he yells open the gates. But then as it continues in the teaser, it's like, oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's that is Jack Black putting on a really good voice that matches the character that they're going for here with Bowser. And I think it it nails it there. And and as you said, backed up by we've never seen Bowser like this before, but you're absolutely right. Like the switch to maybe the switch three, like whatever comes two generations from now, like we'll be seeing these graphics playable Um in, in some fashion. And it's kind of like, it's nice to look forward into the future to see what Nintendo games will look like. Uh, once Nintendo has, like, I would probably say like the, this animation and this look is probably, you can maybe achieve it on the PS five. I don't know. It's hard to say. Probably not. It's probably a generation away from now, but, um, still it's, it, we'll get there for sure. We'll get there. Um, yeah, the, the poor, um, I don't know what they, what they called it. I don't know if there's an official name, but the poor, uh, Penguin Kingdom is decimated at the start of this teaser. Uh, you get, uh, uh, you might have recognized King Ezekiel's voice there. Um, um, I can't remember the, I didn't even know he was going to be in it. I can't remember his name. All I know is that he's from The Walking Dead. Uh, and he, I think he also voices Cyborg in some of the uh, Teen Titans cartoons. Oh. Oh, uh yeah teen titans and teen titans go i honestly didn't recognize that voice i the i will say the best part about this trailer is that unless you are very tuned in all but one voice is unrecognizable <laughs> they just fit the characters and that lets you just be part of that that mario world which is of course this very fantastical world so i'm glad that i'm not recognizing all these different actor voices because i think that would actually diminish it take me out of it a bit yeah so it's uh carrie payton who voices the penguin king uh and does a fantastic job um then the next voice you 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 do hear so you do hear a bit of mario i mean we'll save that one for last because it is it is a big one but um toad unrecognizable that's keegan michael k 
obviously there's a bit of like, there's a bit of, um, you know, modulation going on there, but like when you hear it and then you, you know, who's playing it, it's like, oh yeah, okay. I can totally hear that. And it, it, you know, all of that stuff is, is fantastic. And I, and I knew it was always going to be weird when we saw Mario for the first time, because we're so used to how Mario looks and we've been prepared by Nintendo through concept art and, and, you know, slowly upgrading the look of Mario as we get from, you know, uh, Mario 64 to, to sunshine to galaxy and then into Odyssey. But like when he came on screen for the first time, it is a bit, it's different. Like you, you, you feel as like, Oh, okay. But it, but it works. It looks, I think it looks, I think it looks great. I think Mario looks great. But, you know, elephant in the room, like it is Chris Pratt's voice. Uh, I think there's it's hard to tell. It's two lines that he has. Uh, it's very minimal voice work. I think there is some sort of, you know, voice work going on here. Like he he is he's he's got his own Mario voice. It's it's hard to pick up in the first lines. It very much sounds like just Chris Pratt. But I think the last line of the trailer that he has, you can sense there's a bit of like Chris Pratt trying to do, to give Mario a unique voice, not just chris pratt but um i don't know if you caught that at the end of the trailer it's very it's very hard to pick up because again like it's such a small taste of what is going to be an hour and an hour plus movie right i'm going to say that i don't believe that there was a way for chris pratt to get away with a mario voice we have had the like super high mario voice in that was like first introduced in like mario 64 and he has a very specific register that they've used in the video games like here we go and all of that sort of stuff and if they had found somebody to do that voice i think we would have gotten quite annoyed with it real fast and then if chris pratt had tried to affect that kind of accent i think people would have gotten annoyed or insulted so he gave his own take and for all the other people playing the different roles you're right there's voice modulation there is this like monstrous thing like jack black you do hear him in the bowser but like there is a bit of modulation there is a bit uh, there's a bit of like how he's throwing his voice toad of course i if you hadn't told me that was uh keegan michael uh i wouldn't have known it is so pitched up that there's nothing but we'll see how it comes out because i know from like the original talk that we're getting like seth rogan as donkey kong in this we're getting um like what was the other one um the chemic the wizard one that's uh kevin michael richardson is chemic i where where should i know him from because his name sounds familiar i'm on imdb imdb i'm sure i can just click on his name and Oh, yes, I, sh- I should have done that. You see, you're better prepared than me. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to remember. I, I Again, his name sounds familiar. And of course, as I, I like I, I, I vent here to to wait for IMDb to load, it's 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 failing to load, which is always fun. But um, oh, that, that allowed me to catch up then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, OK, so Kevin Michael Richardson, uh, he's known for oh, he's he, he does a lot. He does a lot of VO work. So he's got um, uh, Tom and Jerry. He's got American Dad, The Simpsons. Uh, on The Simpsons, he's uh, Dr. Hibbert, um, security guard. That's not very helpful. Uh, but yeah, a lot of a lot of Simpsons work, a lot of voice voice work. Um, um, but you know, Blaze and the Monster Machines. There's that. 
I know him from Family Guy. He does Cleveland. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. Family Guy. There it is. You know, Cleveland for sure. Um, you've got uh, and yeah, we didn't get any we didn't get any look at um, the Kong family, Donkey Kong or Cranky Kong. You have Fred Armisen as Cranky Kong and, and Seth Rogen, as you mentioned, as Donkey Kong. And there's already a story out there that uh, they're going to be spinning off um, the Donkey Kong characters into their own movie. Um, so again, like, uh, you know, Nintendo and Illumination obviously have faith in this adaptation. And the other thing to keep in mind is like, you know, Shigeru Miyamoto, the creator of these characters is working very closely with Illumination. And I think, I feel like with what Nintendo and what Shigeru Miyamoto went through with the last time they worked with Hollywood on an adaptation and say what you will about the the first Mario Brothers movie. I, as a kid, I quite liked it. I understood it was different and a lot of people didn't like that. And I, for one also was like, yeah, I wish it was closer to the source material, but you know, like if Nintendo's excited about this and they're the creators of this franchise and they've taken seven years to make this film, like, I don't think that this is going to be, you know, I don't want to say, I don't think it's going to be bad. I think it's going to, I think it's going to hit the right notes. And I, I just don't, I don't feel like, I, and I felt like this from the beginning, I don't think Chris Pratt voicing Mario is going to be the damnation of this, of this film. You know, even if Mario is the main character, for sure. I, I just, I don't think it's going to tank it. Not at all. I think it, I think at a certain point, you're just going to become used to that because Mario is one of the most voiced characters in the, in the franchise. So like, there's going to be that initial disconnect and then you're just going to get used to it. But again, when you look through this trailer, um, you're you see how they do the Cooper Troopers. Uh, there weren't any Goombas. I didn't see that, but you but you the actual magic that Kamek uses because I remember that from like Baby Mario series and stuff. They're faithful to that. The penguins are from like I remember those being in Mario sixty four and running down the uh, the ice track and the entire meme of you cheated uh, the game and you cheated yourself they came back there so like these are all just like there's so many easter eggs and just things that were like back from there especially near the end of the trailer where we had uh luigi running in away from all those skeleton um koopa troops and it was just like oh this is going to be like quasi luigi's mansion thing but who's voicing luigi again because that just seemed incredibly uh um natural oh charlie day charlie perfect. day perfect yeah. casting uh, i mean that was the, like when the voice cast was announced like everyone was getting all hung up on chris pratt as mario and i'm just like guys like the rest of the cast is is almost perfect like it's perfect like charlie day is luigi you could not have cast someone you know better for that role and and you see that as you said in the stinger to this teaser where it's like okay you've convinced me you've got because Charlie Day has that like manic, scared, uh, out of his wits, you know, ability in in his voice. Like he can really, he can really go to that that place, and um, you see it in this trailer. Like I think you know Toad and Luigi and and all these characters we have. And as you said, we haven't seen you know the Kong family. We haven't seen um, um, Princess Peach, although her her design, I guess, is out there. I guess McDonald's has like some of the character cast for some of their marketing out there already because this movie was supposed to come out in December. So some of that marketing material might have already made it out there. Um, mm. But yeah, it's coming out in April. So we've we've got a bit more to wait, but a very strong 
in my mind, a very strong first showing. And yeah, like I, I think people can still have their, you know, um, their issues with Chris Pratt as Mario. And um, I'm fine with that because again, like we've only gotten two lines and I think there's only one line that really gives us an idea. Like, I think it's that last one where he says mushroom kingdom, here we come. And I've seen a lot of like people comparing it to, um, I think I sent the video to, to Jocelyn. It was um, uh, Linda from Bob's burgers. And it's just <laughs> someone has animated Linda from Bob's burgers and, and thrown in the, uh, the Chris Pratt uh, <laughs> uh, line again, like it's such a small part of that teaser. And I feel like we, I think our next trailer, we'll see a lot more of it, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm still super excited. I've watched this trailer a bunch of times. The kids are super excited to see it. Like I'll be seeing it like the weekend it comes out with the kids. Like, I, I, man, I would go see this by myself. Like it's it. I think it's going to be awesome. I think it's going to be a great adaptation. I am very hyped for it. I think that this is this is going to be a great adaptation. The only the only person that I would have uh, been upset about playing Mario would have been uh, Bob Hoskins because I still remember the original Super Mario Brothers movie from the '90s, and I I hated it. It was so <laughs> bad, so unfaithful to everything. The the weird twist that it uh, that it took and. This seems to be hitting everything else. Every every criticism I had about that movie, this seems to have addressed it in spades. So I'm I'm looking forward for this. I hope that people will give it a chance. Yeah. Oh man, this 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 thing is going to make Illumination money and Nintendo money, no problem. And I would expect um, Mario something sequel. Uh, you know, uh, side story every year until until the well runs dry i mean if there's i hope they keep going through different franchises you know maybe we'll actually get some love for f-zero yeah (laughs) you know what i i honestly think uh in terms of i think everyone goes to zelda as the next one i think zelda Mm -hmm. would work really well as a live action adaptation you could have a, a lot of fun with that one and i think uh you know both movie and tv lord of the rings has proven that you can adapt big epic fantasy uh stories both on the small screen and the big screen um obviously game of thrones as well and the witcher and all that yeah that, that's what makes me worried though because oh, i'm yeah? just so worried they're gonna make it like some gritty deboot zelda and it's, it's that's not what zelda is so maybe no. we need to get like a little bit of distance from lord of the rings game of Thrones, uh house of dragons and then Zelda can have its own voice. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I, and again, like I think if Nintendo, we saw what Nintendo did when they licensed their property, which we got the Mario movie in 93. And now we've seen what happens when Nintendo partners with a very specific hand chosen studio and works hand in hand with them to build this product. Uh, I think we're going to see both in financial results and just general reception of the project nintendo knows which way they're going to go with their next one with their next adaptation and i I think legend of zelda is has got to be the next one and then i think you could maybe convince nintendo that metroid would be would be another good one i I feel like there's a lot that can be be done with those two franchises i i think after that it it you know you you start to you start to really require like someone um, like a partner that really wants to adapt it. But I think those are the two biggest ones after Mario, like, you know, uh, Zelda and, and Metroid for sure. 
Um, but we'll see how that goes. I, I, I think you're right. Like, I think Nintendo, well, they've already opened Nintendo Pictures, and it, it is a real thing that exists, and their website's up there, and I, I think it points to Nintendo looking at other partnerships, um, similar to what PlayStation has done and Sony has done with uh, their PlayStation Productions label. Um, and their, I I guess, next adaptation, but I, I think this is their, well, after Uncharted, this is their second adaptation that they've been working on for a while. We got our first trailer for The Last of Us from HBO. And, you know, I'm a huge fan of The Last of Us. And when it was announced that they were going to be making an HBO series, I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds great. Um, great spot to do it. You know, they'll have the, they'll have the budget. They'll, they'll do the right casting. They'll have the right you know, writers and, and directors and such. Uh, again, a good pairing of like having the original developers, Neil Druckmann's directly involved and um, they're adapt they're adapting the last of us. And this trailer is fantastic. Like I think it really nails. Absolutely fantastic. And the fact that it is a mini series, mm. it gives me so much joy because if this had been a movie they would have had to condense and strip down the plot so much and i don't think you could really show the developed bond that happens over the course of the of the last of us the miniseries format just is going to give this the uh, the time to really make the story make the characters matter so i'm so happy that this is on the small screen rather than the big screen. That's like my first big thing that I was so happy to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I do a zombie podcast with a friend of mine, Lou, and, and he's, he's been, he has not played the last of us part two. Um, he, he was skeptical of the HBO, um, sort of adaptation. And, and he always said like, I'll wait for a trailer. And we just discussed this on our, our latest uh, episode of Zamp. And, Trailer won him over, which is hard to do. I'll admit, is it's hard to win Lou over when it comes to zombie content because he loves, he loves, he love, he loves and hates all of it, you know. And um, I think like the high production stuff sometimes weirdly fails out in term in in favor of like the more low production stuff. I, I find, but but I love the trailer. I think I I it felt very Last of Us. It helps that they also have. It appears as though they're kind of filling in a gap there. There's a gap in the game where um, they're just hitting all kinds of troubles as they're traveling west. And then there's like, I think, a, a stretch of, you know, many, many miles where seemingly nothing goes wrong. Like there's still hardships, but nothing that you play through. It's just kind of like, I think there's one big moment in one city and then you kind of skip forward, you know, a good chunk. And and I think a whole season, to be honest. Um but yeah, like it looks like they're filling that out. They've cast uh, one of the main actresses from Yellow Jackets uh, into The Last of Us, which is fantastic. And it looks like she's going to be playing uh, a role brand new to the series um, as opposed to adapting it from the game. So like it looks like they're going to even out the journey a little bit, fill in some of those gaps that maybe necessarily wouldn't have played well, like they didn't have gameplay they needed to put in there. And it and it seems like they're gonna and this was uh, a point Lou made like it seems like they're gonna be pulling out some gameplay heavy sections still adapting the story there but pulling out the gameplay heavy sections and then inserting some more storyline that fits the medium a little bit better so yeah yeah all in all um, 
I think it looks really great. Now, have you played a lot of The Last of Us? Are you a fan of the series? I I like The Last of Us. I Okay, so to speak more on zombie as a genre, right? Just a, that sort of genre for zombie uh, survival things. I like The Last of Us because it harkens more towards um, 28 Days Later kind of zombie stuff where it is the people themselves that are the central part of it, not just zombies for the novelty of zombies. And that's why I like the last of us. That's why I like 28 days later. Um, and this really sort of understands that. Whereas when I think of like you were saying like, Oh, the cheap ones are better. I, when I think of cheap ones, I think of movies that I just dislike watching because they're very predictable. They're like, island of the dead one of the zombie movies that i like have as like the bar for bad movies sometimes <laughs> and I just i like i like the last of us i like showing people when they when all the rules are thrown out and and uh that kind of that kind of thing and i don't want to ruin this series for people who haven't played the game um i think that that if they do this right, the very end and all of the twists that are there, it's just going to tear people's hearts apart. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think they're, I'm looking forward to seeing how they adapt it into the medium of like television and, and um, seeing how those beats play out um, when you're not holding the controller and you're just, you're just, you're watching it play out on screen and, and, and getting that different experience. Cause it is different. Like, you know, um, as someone, I don't watch a lot of like Twitch, you know, and people playing video games, but even if you're watching someone play through the last of us on Twitch, it is a different experience because you're watching someone control a character and it's always going to be different. You know, the cutscenes will be the same, but the in-between stuff and, and it, it adds to the experience. And I think there's some stuff that they can do with television being a different medium that like will lead to a different experience like uh, i i really do feel like you know this is not like yeah they could do a shot for shot of the video game and it'd be very similar but we see from the trailer that that's not the case like it's the same story beats but it's not the same shot for shot experience so um we'll see that one's arriving in early 2023 likely uh january february if i had to guess so look forward to that on hbo if you're in Canada, you can watch it on Crave. They've already announced that they're going to have it in glorious 1080p because Crave is from 2015. But um, <laughs> <laughs> Crave, the Crave app, I tell you, like if if you're trying to watch it on uh, Xbox, um, it, it's like almost unwatchable. Uh, but uh, yeah, Crave, shout out, shout out to Crave. Um, everyone at home is like, well, we watch it on HBO Max because because we, we we don't have that here it's all on crave um well you know speaking of the future let let's look forward into the very very far future of 2077 because cd project red has announced a new cyberpunk game as well as multiple witcher games and a new ip they've basically laid out all their plans to develop their games um i joke over the next 50 years but really like this is a <laughs> this is a 10 year outlook it seems like right is it a 10-year outlook? Okay. So I will say that I am happy that CD Projekt Red 
decided to be so open about their pipeline and what you can expect to see from them. I think this is a pipe dream. I do not expect to see this all within the next 10 years. I don't expect to see... I wouldn't be surprised if we only see half of this within the next 10 years. I'm like just generally unless they have like opened up like 20 additional studios no no i don't see this happening in the next 10 years but it is nice to see that they're working on various things um the the witcher titles kind of make sense because of the popularity resurgence of the witcher what's your thoughts on cyberpunk you said you were trying to play that on the steam deck uh yeah i played cyberpunk 2077 at launch and i enjoyed it because i played it on um on a system that that could run and i was playing on the at the time the xbox one x and you know like in terms of that game and the story and the gameplay and the experience i, I really i did enjoy it i really like the the netflix anime that they just released which i know a lot of people are enjoying um it's not for everyone but but i enjoyed it um the idea that they've uh, announced a sequel, I think, is good in the sense that they are they're not afraid to continue working with that franchise. Because, again, look, you say what you will about Cyberpunk and that experience at launch and everything CD Projekt Red has gone through between, you know, um, the, that launch and then where we are now. And it, and it has kind of made that turnaround of like everyone's back with CD Projekt Red and, and loving Cyberpunk, and they've done a lot of work to to get there. A lot of other developers probably would have been like, yeah, that didn't work. Let's patch it up, make sure it runs on everything that it needs to run on, and go back to The Witcher. You know, an example that comes to mind almost right away is EA and Mass Effect Andromeda. You mm-hmm. know, it, it did not launch well, poorly received. They patched it up, and they closed up shop. I pretty sure one of the storylines was basically basically like let's just send the pages to the to the fandom wikia and then they could post it because we're not making that dlc and it's we're not even going to put the i think they were maybe going to do a novel or something for one of the dlcs that that didn't get made so like i, I appreciate that cd project red has come out and said even if cyberpunk 2077 they're calling it project orion is likely five to six years away from a CD project red timeline. It's good for them to acknowledge like, Hey, you know, we are having the expansion come out next year, but also we are working on the future of the franchise. Yes. We're not dropping it. We, we really do want to continue with cyberpunk 2077, which, which is good. It shows that they have faith in, um, the franchise. I think it really just comes down to like, okay, they've done the work to correct cyberpunk 2077. We cannot have that happen again. Like Orion needs to launch and it needs to launch well, you know, at the very least. So that's that in my mind is the big crux of this. All of these that have been put out, I actually feel like they should start with the Witcher game just because people are so into into the Witcher right now. Um, The TV series and all and the books and all of that around the Witcher will will get people to adopt it and then hopefully they can use that engine in cyber in the next cyberpunk because they just they can't have a rough launch with cyberpunk it even with all the effort that they put in to eventually correct it there is still this really sour taste in my mouth of like just 
cars flying into into the sky and killing people immediately and just all these not fully game like obviously there were game breaking glitches in there but just absolutely unrealized stuff that they had said that they wanted to do and got nowhere close to doing yeah well no you're right like they they promised a lot with cyberpunk 2077 and i think i hope they learned a lot of lessons because again there's no way to know if they have learned those lessons because they haven't they haven't launched another product they fixed their current product and and they'll have the expansion coming out next year but even then i think like that's building upon the the work that they've done with cyberpunk 2077 um you know we talked about we previously on the show we've talked about you know the fact that they've announced um a new witcher that will start off a new sort of franchise and they and basically here they've they've announced a couple of different Witcher three different Witcher projects. Um, one is a full fledged Witcher game under the code name uh, Canis Majoris. It's being developed by an external studio headed by experienced developers who have worked on previous Witcher games. This is not the Witcher project that was previously announced, which is um, it, I think it was it was teased with a um, with a different uh, sigil. It's not the it's not the wolf. I think it was, or maybe it was the wolf. I'm trying to remember now. I'm now I'm totally losing it here. But um, they but they announced another one, which is going to be done by the Molasses's Flood. Which, if you're wondering what studio that is, I, I don't blame you. Like they were picked up by CD Projekt Red. Their big game that they did uh, was it was a smaller title. Um, and now I'm like, <laughs> I'm um. I'm blanking on it. Um, gosh, what was it called? It was. Uh, it was like a. It was like a weird. It was a weird smaller title. The Flame and the Flood is what it was called, and it was about. It was more of like an exploration game, and you would like explore on land, and then you would get on a raft, and you would go down the flood, and then you would you would stop at specific spots. A smaller title doesn't necessarily scream like these guys are working on the next big Witcher game, but they are working on a game in the Witcher universe. Um, so that's another externally developed title, but the one that has been announced previous was the, uh, the, it's, it's a new trilogy of Witcher games and it's, uh, a CD project red developed game. Um, oh no, this, sorry, this, this is all set up weirdly. So you've got this article set up badly. <laughs> I think I just read it wrong. Because I know we had the open world one, but then they have the trilogy, right? Like the open world one is the one that you were speaking about before that they wanted to do. Yeah. So it's the next Witcher game being developed by CD Projekt Red. I see it. I see my mistake now. I was reading the article wrong. It's, it's on me, not on Game Informer. Uh, so the the one being developed in-house, which was announced earlier, is under the codename Polaris. And that's the one that they are saying is going to be the start of a new saga um it aims to release uh two more witcher games after polaris creating a whole new triple a rpg witcher trilogy um and that's all being developed on unreal engine 5 so with cd project red they are dropping the i think what they call the red engine and they're moving over to um unreal engine 5 so that's that's the trilogy that was previously announced but they're saying i think they want to release it every two years which is not cd project red (laughs) you know like 
they say they have the pipeline and they've figured out how they're going to do that. But I mean, that's where I, I get skeptical and I don't I don't need them to release a new Witcher game every two years. Uh, I'm fine with it being every three or four years, you know, Um but yeah, we, yeah, yeah, I think I think as long as they're not rushing themselves again, like I I said that like I don't expect this to be within the 10 years. And I, I'm saying that because I expect there to be delays. The biggest thing that gives me confidence about this is that they are dropping their own proprietary engine. Like that was such a big thing that caused them issues with uh, with cyberpunk. I think that with the unreal engine 5 the support that they're going to be able to get on that and they can just focus on realizing their their vision hopefully it will be a much smoother development because you you were talking about mass effect andromeda that was them having to switch to the frostbite engine because they were being pushed to do that by the publisher and it didn't work for them and that's why we had so much issues with with andromeda mm-hmm. Yeah. Having an engine that just has the proper support that they can work on and build from uh, from day one should make it a lot smoother. Hopefully they can stick close to this timeline, but also hopefully they can realize when they need to give themselves more time so they don't push out a buggy project. Yeah, I, I feel like CD Projekt Red has learned their lesson in terms of like pushing out a buggy buggy game and, and i mean open world games are gonna have bugs but i mean the launch of cd or the launch of cyberpunk 2077 was not that it was uh it was more it was worse um and you're right like dropping your proprietary engine going with something that has a lot of supporting documentation like a whole support team to help you out also working with the unreal engine helps with hiring you don't have to train I mean, you might have to train them on your own tools and how you use the Unreal Engine, but again, like you're not having to teach them a a, a proprietary engine. Um, You can kind of hire to say like, hey, we're looking for Unreal Engine developers to work on these various projects. So, you know, they're so basically they announced a new cyberpunk, a new trilogy in the Witcher franchise, um, a new uh, a new fully fledged Witcher game outside of that trilogy being developed by an external studio. And then also another Witcher project being developed by the molasses flood, which is a internal studio um, that, that is working on a new Witcher game. And then they also announced that they're working on a third entirely distinct IP created from scratch, um, which has just entered sort of the creation phase um, just last year. So very, very early days uh, it's very rare that we get this sort of like advanced notice from developers. And um, I think there's good reason for it, you know, but um, in this case, I, th- I feel like CD Projekt Red is trying something new here and saying like, yeah, we're working on something new and um, no details, just that it's brand new from scratch, new IP. And uh, we'll, we'll keep you posted as, as things continue, but like a very, you know, five to seven year outlook from this developer it's, it's kind of crazy it's very unheard of in in video games you know um you hear a lot of rumblings and then like maybe something will be announced in a nintendo direct or a playstation state of play or an or an xbox thing or what have you but like sometimes things don't exist until they're announced you know even though they've been in development for years and have been you know projects that will will see the light of day but are still kept under wraps so this is um this is new, I think, 
you know, for, for video games. We haven't seen much, much like this in the past. So, well, I think that the one thing that I'm hoping with this announcement is again, that, that sort of flexibility that they can have where it's like, yeah, we're inter- we're working on this new thing. It's something completely different. We don't have details to sh- share right now, but as they share details, they're like, you know what? We couldn't quite realize that we were trying to do this, that they can say, Hey, we tried this. It didn't work. We're, mo- we're trying something different because the worst thing that can happen is kind of an anthem effect where they put out and say like, oh, it's going to be this. And then they haven't actually figured out how it's going to be that. And then we get this sort of list of promises that they try and fulfill and it doesn't quite work well together and it falls flat on its face. Like for all the issues that Cyberpunk had, they were ambitious and they were trying to make it work. And I, I would love it just to have a core great gameplay that uh, that they add on now that they have the original Cyberpunk and they're trying to build from there rather than them trying and promise the moon and then they have to put themselves in a position where the best they can hope for and the best we can ever hope for in these bad launches is we get a No Man's Sky revitalization of something. But how do you sell from that when you've already made such a bad first impression? Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, like you can only do that so many times. Like I feel like they, I, I remember, I, I don't really remember very strongly the the launch of The Witcher. I think they were still a very unknown studio at the time, but Witcher 2 had its issues at launch. Witcher 3 had its issues at launch and it they, they took a year to address them and patch and update and provide free DLC and all that stuff. So like this isn't the first time that CD Projekt Red has gone in with this mentality of like, well, we'll fix it. We'll release it now. It's working on multiple platforms and we'll just address the issues as they go. And I, I don't know if that was their thinking at launch of Cyberpunk 2077, but it's it's certainly been like it's been how they've they've released games previously is they but again witcher 2 and 3 were in a much more playable state than cyberpunk 2077 was on on platforms and like again you're right like how can they do it again and i think i think they have learned that lesson and and you've seen it with bioware like bioware um with anthem they they you see a lot of those developer interviews of like the bioware magic everything comes together in like the last three months of push and it just it didn't work for Anthem fell on its face. And Anthem is another great example of EA being like, well, maybe we can salvage this It's like, mm, no, let's get out of here. You know, so like it's I'm glad that CD Projekt Red has but it's not sustainable to, to continue that like they cannot have another Cyberpunk 2077 launch like that. That wouldn't go well. Um, yeah. So um, but speaking of uh, falling flat on your face. Uh, uh, not you specifically, but Google (laughs) Stadia is shutting down in January, 2023. I I think everyone kept predicting this and I think it's one of those predictions of like, yeah, of course it's going to happen. Um, I didn't anticipate it to happen so soon. Um, but yeah, Stadia will shut down in January, 2023. They are, I, I didn't expect them to do this, but they are refunding everybody their hardware purchases. Um, they're not asking for them to be returned. It's basically just like, yep, you bought this for Stadia. Um, so we're just going to give you, give you your money back. I think most of those like Chrome, I don't know what Chromecasts can be repurposed. Uh, but there's a lot of talk out there of the controllers being like locked proprietarily to not have, 
uh, Bluetooth. Like you can't sync them to your PC. Um, you can plug them in, but you can't do the the wireless route. But did you ever uh, dabble with Stadia? Are you devastated no. by this news? It it always seemed like a doomed project because they didn't put the legwork in ahead of time. And it's strange because I think that if they had wanted to now would have been the chance for Stadia to get a second wind. Because one of the things that really was the appeal of of Stadia was that, oh, I don't have to upgrade my hardware. So we're now with the launch of the new 40 series NVIDIA cards. We've got um, Intel having put out their own graphics cards in the ARC cards. And we're waiting on um, AMD to launch their next uh, line of cards. People are looking and being like, oh, how much is it going to cost me to upgrade um, my system? And if Google had been like, hey, you know what? These, uh, this is the one system you'll, uh, you'll always need because our software or rather our hardware always gets updated and we're now reaching out to all these developers. So like you'll have all this back catalog and this and this would have been another push because now PCs are going to be a generation ahead of anything that the consoles are putting out. Um, you're going to have people with their Steam decks, as we talked about, mm-hmm. but those are going to have their limited functionality and their quirks. And if they had just been like, hey, Stadia 2.0, here's more titles. It's easier than ever to use. They could have really pushed the market. But instead, they closed up so fast that there are people who were like developers, actual developers who were caught off guard. They found out the exact same time as everybody else. And they're sinking money into developing for games that they were planning to launch that are now like all those costs are gone. I hope that that Amazon is going to re uh, give them um, some of their money back. I, I think that like, this is just, it is such a horrible way that it got dropped and it's great that they're giving consumers their money back. I think that is, that is a very generous um, move, but I, I would hope that to help recoup some of the bad press from this, they do things like unlock the controller so they can be used with anything. Give people sort of like, oh, here's dev toolkits. And so you can run this on closed servers to play something just to let people sort of make it an open software on private servers sort of stuff. And that I think would be the best turn they could make right now. It just feels like they cut, uh, they cut everything off did not tell anybody and they said okay here's here's thank you for the how long has this been out for like a year and a half now no it was before pandemic wasn't it uh it was yeah google stadia when did it launch because it feels like it launched um pre-pandemic and it wouldn't have been uh long before that and it's funny like trying to figure out when it launched um oh yeah so november 19th 2019 yeah (laughs) So, so here, here's three your, years ago. Here's your three year um, or four year when it closes down. Here's your four year. Thank you for the uh, interest free loan that we uh, gave out the hardware for. So they're losing money on this, but there is a there is a culture that's happening with Google that has become somewhat public, where you can only get to a certain level without having launched something 
So now there's a lot of these projects that are coming out that haven't been tested. Like remember Google glasses. <laughs> yeah. Right? And, and so now like if it's got, if it's got the Google name on it, it almost is like a stink now. Like, and, and stadia was already there for me. It just did not feel well thought out or concepted. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Like I was, um, there was like some interesting conversations going around on Twitter about how like Google is a, is a, is a, is a house to launch, you know, and once it exits, once it exits the launch phase and goes into the promotional phase, like a lot of people exit the product, they like can't keep staff there because they're constantly moving on to, to other projects to, to launch and, and build the next big thing. But yeah, like, I think that, you know, the article, uh, the Google post says like, oh, we're still interested in, in gaming. We still want to help with new technologies. And I feel like who's going to sign up with Google after that? Like, this is such a big headache. And um, even you saw it um, earlier this year, you saw a lot of games that were being released, like uh, the Quarry was one of them. You know, we wouldn't normally see like a fully fledged game from um you know, the folks behind uh, Supermassive Games who work on, you know, the Dark Pictures anthology, like they've been doing that. But uh, like, it seems like the quarry was like a Stadia exclusive that they were developing for Stadia. And Stadia cut loose a lot of second party projects that weren't in house, you know, before the shutdown. So like they were cleaning house before, like even just last year. So it it really seemed like there was like even the Wikipedia articles like, you know, history launch and studio expansions from 2018 to 2020, and then strategy change and shutdown from 2021 to present. Like, it just seems like such a, usually like a, a console generation, like even a failed console generation is about five years, right? Like, you know, like you stick it out because you put all that work and effort into the hardware. Like, I think even if you look at the Dreamcast as the exit from the console, um, like the console. Sega, yeah. Yeah, like from Sega, like it's... It was. It must have been longer than five years. Like I'm, I bet I'm gonna look it up. I, I never owned a Dreamcast, but like I feel like it was. It was around uh, a lot. Long. Oh yeah, no, ninety eight to two thousand one. So maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> so that was only three years. So, but like, but remember the promise of Stadia? Like Stadia was supposed to be like, oh, I'm looking at like this trailer for a video game on YouTube, and then I click the button and I get to download it on uh, on Stadia and play a demo or if the game's out, like be able to then play the the game. Like what happened with all of the interconnection, especially since it's Google that they couldn't get this to work even with their current installation base. Yeah. I mean, you see other developers like other platforms that are slowly working towards a future that includes cloud. Like Xbox is doing a lot of work there. Amazon has Luna um ubisoft has their own i think and might have even been using the stadia technology like the stadia technology worked and it's still going to be present and can be licensed by other um developers i think like a lot of the work to get AAA experiences from the current generation of consoles on the switch uses cloud gaming um so there is a future there you know with cloud gaming and um you're right it just seems like they at best use this three-year period to kind of develop this technology that they could then license out and and that seems to be sort of the approach that google's had like look if it's not going to be a platform that exists on its own at least the technology we can like 
license it out, it works. Stadia worked. You know, um, I used a bit of it. Uh, I played a couple games um, on my iPad through like a Safari web app, which isn't even like the best way to experience Stadia, but it worked. It was, it worked really well. And I paid the, I think I had a free subscription to Pro for three months and played a couple games that were included on it. I didn't give them a cent, you know. I just uh, had access to it and, uh, you know, it worked. But they are going to be shutting it down, returning uh, money to anybody who put, uh, to, who bought any hardware. Obviously, if you had a subscription, you're not getting that money back. You you got access to the games for that period of time. Um, but I, I do believe they are refunding game purchases as well. And a lot of developers are working um, with Google. They're still answering their calls to uh, make sure that you can transfer your saves and your licenses to other platforms. Ubisoft has already said that they're working to transfer your Stadia licenses over to Uplay or Ubisoft Connect, whatever they call it. Um, So there is uh, a lot of developers are stepping up and and, and helping out consumers where where Google is, is not able to. So... There's some silver lining there for sure. Um, but yeah, Stadia, it's uh, it's done. Um, uh, but one last big piece of news that we have to cap off the show was announced just today at um, the Oculus Connect event. Forgot it was today, but it, it was today. Uh, the big news is that uh, Meta announced their new headset, their new virtual reality headset called the Quest Pro. And with it comes a uh, professional price tag. Manny, I don't know if you want to spend $2,300 on a <laughs> on a Quest Pro, but you have that option later this, uh, this month. I am beside myself at this price point. Like, it's... I, I do not understand how they could put it at this price point in this day and age where you are basically telling somebody don't buy a top of the line desktop computer with like all the the preferables that you can use to do gaming that is probably way better supported uh as well as all the other things you can do with a, a computer don't spend the money on a uh console and a very nice tv right um instead spend it on this quirky little device that we're hoping will get adoption like it 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 seems like a company like meta would understand lost leaders and this is just so bizarre to me like i can't i can't imagine that they're gonna put this because they're putting this in best buy us they're putting this in in canada it's gonna be up on amazon i cannot imagine that this thing is going to sell more units than to like the absolute whales which means that it's not going to have the buy-in which means it's not going to have the support for people to put stuff on it like it like this seems like they are literally pricing themselves out of a launch yeah i i think that um so there's a couple things going on here and the the quest 2 is still going to be available it's still the target from for a lot of developers in terms of building games for a um a PC-less VR experience. Uh that being said, it seems like this very much is like they're taking the Apple approach in 
I think they're going past the Apple approach, frankly, as you said, like with this price point and, and what they're bundling here, like they are literally giving you every, uh, like every little piece of V proven VR technology to make it the, the most immersive experience ever. So, um, I don't know what, what half this stuff does or is, but for them, for, but here's what comes in, in the, in the package of, um, the Meta Quest pro and i and i had the list in front of me but essentially they have all new controllers they call them the um their self-tracking controllers the new uh meta quest touch pro controllers um it also comes with a uh, charging dock um and uh there's uh there was some other stuff here too like that that was going to be included with it and it was like it, it like it was like um light blockers uh was one of them and now i'm trying to find it because there's a whole okay here it is so you've got it includes the headset, the the Meta Touch Pro controllers, stylus tips. I don't know what those are. Maybe they're for like the the control sticks. Uh, I don't know. Um, I mean, I feel like they would be. Oh, you know what? Maybe they're like tracking tips for like a stylus, so that you can write on stuff. Like this is this appears to be targeted at like using VR at work for like virtual conferencing. Um, you know, uh, collaborating on creative projects. Uh, if you watch the trailers, like that's what they're trying to get across. But for you and I, who mostly play video games, uh, with, with, you know, hardware like this, it's kind of, it feels a little out of touch. <laughs> these trailers. It's like, I don't want to do that stuff in VR. I want to, I want to play half-life. I want to play, you know, beat saber, that sort of thing. So, these trailers feel a little out of place and, and definitely don't encourage me to spend, you know, 2,300 Canadian, 1,500 American. But like, I, I will admit, like, it seems like they're throwing a lot in with, with this headset. Like there's a lot of next generation technology here. Um, if you've used a Quest 2, there is like what they call pass-through where you can, you know, double tap on the side of the headset and you can kind of see the outside world. But it's like this grainy, it's like an afterthought. It's like this grain. it's just so you don't run into anything. You know, so you can turn it on and kind of go walk around the room without running into a coffee table or something. And it gives you a very like grainy Game Boy color camera esque view of the world. Uh, not very useful for what they what they're calling like um, augmented reality. Yeah, augmented reality. Thank you. AR. So this headset is going to do both VR and AR and has high end cameras on the outside to basically allow you know, um, that Google glass experience, like basically feel like you're interacting with your VR experience in the real world. So it's got that going for it as well. So it's both a VR and an AR headset, which is going above and beyond what Apple is doing behind closed doors. It hasn't been announced yet, but there is an Apple headset that they're working on that is going to target the more, um, AR side of things, um, and focus primarily on augmented reality. So, but that competition doesn't exist. So if, if Meta is looking at like, well, Apple's going to price their headset in the $1,000 range, like, so we can get away with $1,000 too. But I mean, I'm not defending Apple pricing, but I feel like Apple has sort of gotten their customers used to <laughs> spending more money on their products. Whereas Meta is like, they've kind of done the opposite because they've really underpriced their headsets to the point where they had to increase the price just this past summer of the quest too. So, you know, I mean, 
I don't think this headset is for you or I. Um, I I don't know who it's for, to be honest. Um, yeah, that that's the thing. I do not know who this is for, and I and with the pricing of this headset at its at its uh, price point, I honestly believe that the price increase of the uh, second gen uh, headset was because they felt like oh okay when we introduced this higher one the the gen 2 looks cheaper in in comparison which is just which is just insane that's 300 uh us for the meta quest 2 yeah standalone pair or something like that i don't i'm not even sure like it's just it's tough for us because i mean when we when we look for it we get canadian pricing but you know if you if you go from canadian pricing back to american pricing you're basically looking at, you know, $530 for the 128 gigabyte. That's Canadian pricing for the Quest 2. And then it ups to $659 um, uh, Canadian for the 256. So, like, you're basically looking at half the cost for getting a headset that is going to work with the experiences you and I are going to want to play, which are video games. And, I mean, you can even add an extra couple hundred bucks if you add, like, the... You can add maybe another 300 if you want, like, the the cable, the official cable and the official, you know, case and elite strap, which, which I do have and, and, and makes a world difference. But even then you're spending way less than 2,300 on a headset and you have that flexibility of being able to play desktop VR experiences or wireless VR experiences. And, and I mean, I, I didn't dig too deep, but like I follow a lot of, you know, video game news outlets and really like this quest pro there was, from what I can tell, no video game attachment announcements to this. Like, there was nothing. It was all, you can buy this in two weeks, but what is it for? You know, like, what does it do? You it's know? for Facebook's meta. They're gonna, they're finally gonna launch it. But it, it feels like we are in an episode, or rather the movie Mean Girls. They're trying to make it happen, and it's not gonna happen. I, I do not, I I'm not usually this harsh about projects. I'm not this harsh about products that come out. I'm not this harsh about video games, but like I I cannot with the support that it's currently getting at the price point that it that it's getting think of anybody I could recommend this to even if they had that level of disposable income because I don't believe that the 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 installation base is going to be there for companies to then put their support behind it. I think this is this is something where if I was looking at that, and this is something that comes with like 12 gigabytes of RAM, it's like that doesn't justify the price point. It's 256 gigabytes of storage. That doesn't justify the storage. I don't know off the top of my head how much these like 10 high resolution sensors that are put in and then, of course, everything has to be put in a compact uh, system. But like, you could have a nice desktop, a nice laptop for competitive or um, fraction of the price, and get most of this, and then still have money left over to actually go out in the world. Now that we're we're opening up and uh, and uh, that's there. So I just I. I can't see this as anything I would ever recommend to anybody, even on a laugh. No, I mean, like uh, I'm looking as someone who's been following VR since um, I remember 
at work, oh, we were we were getting like the we've done a lot of VR stuff with at work and stuff, and and I think like um uh, it started with you know putting the phone in the case and watching like a a, a three sixty video we captured with a with a camera, very grainy, not great at all, and that technology has come a long way and. Um, Meta has been working very hard to to advance VR, and they, and I think they've done a really great job with with the Quest and the Quest Two, like some of their best work. Um, but I I agree with you. I feel like uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the Pro and how it is received and how 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 people use it, because I I am interested to see where VR goes next, and and really like I just. I, I guess Meta was just, it wasn't interested in doing like the Quest 3, the Quest 4. It wanted to introduce this Pro. And I, and I just feel like it feels like too soon. You know, it feels like they they needed another another Quest in there to kind of like give the Pro some time, you know. Um, but again, like it's so hard to, to say anything, um, uh, you know, in terms of looking forward to this without without like kind of like knowing what it's for. Like it, it just seems it's very expensive for, so it can do it's backwards compatible with all the quest two stuff. Quest two is likely what people developers will be targeting unless they're working on like high end um, work apps. But even then, like what, what company is going to buy multiple thousand dollar headsets? I look forward to seeing what people do with this. Um, I think like, Meta is also being very flexible with what they're introducing here in the sense that like the new controllers, you'll be able to purchase them standalone and they will work with the Meta Quest 2. Like, I think that's a really good move. Like we're not seeing uh, this is the Pro and the Pro exists in its own world and then the Quest 2 is its own thing. Like it's all like the software that runs on the Quest 2 will run on on the Pro. Um, The Pro obviously has like some advanced technologies like um, eye tracking for advanced eye movement with your avatar and also has a camera to look at your, your facial expressions. Um, and there's a whole you know privacy thing to that too, that <laughs> I don't know, like, I don't, it, it, a lot, it's weird, but like all that stuff exists within the pro and, and it, and it just goes to where, you know, meta is trying to build this, you know, virtual world. Um, and they also did announce that, uh, in the metaverse they you meta horizon you you now have legs so um that was a big announcement uh, i'm not even joking they, <laughs> it was an announcement yeah um, but so out of context that just i mean out of context that is just i mean it is laughable it, it's, it's just it's funny like i i i i mean here's the thing like i think meta is look like it's so easy to get down on facebook and meta but i feel like what meta is doing with vr is they are putting everything on the table so everyone can see it as they're working on it you know like i feel like this pro headset is something they probably could have sat on for a couple years and released um with a lower price tag uh, and more support in a couple years but they really are like saying like hey this is ready you can buy it if you if you want to join us on this journey as we enter the next generation of VR, they're not saying everyone's going to want want one of these. They're just saying like this is this is another you know advanced way of engaging with this content, and um, it's not going to be forever. It's not for me. I, I'm I'm content with the Quest Two. I was worried that like oh I just got a Quest Two. Like is this Pro gonna gonna be an issue? But like no, it's it's not for me. Uh, the Quest Two is still viable. And will be likely for a couple more years. Um, 
But another thing Meta is serious about is is buying studios. Like they they picked up uh, Camouflage, which is the studio behind Marvel's Iron Man VR, which is going to be coming to the Quest uh, later in November. Um, they also picked up uh, Twisted Pixel, which I didn't realize they were still making games. I guess they shifted to VR, but they used to make a lot of like really quirky Xbox Live Arcade games. Um, I'm t- I'm trying to remember. Spe- I think they were uh explosion the explosion man and miss explosion man games do you remember those like way back in the 360 days barely Um, barely okay (laughs) yeah so they're they're behind those but they i guess they've been working on vr games so meta picked them up and i think this is a big purchase as well they picked up uh, armature which are the folks behind um recently the uh, resident evil 4 vr port which is fantastic so Meta's really looked at, you know, acquiring a lot of these studios. They're serious about VR. Like, I I mean, coming off the Stadia conversation, like, I think if this was Google, it'd be like, oh, man, shouldn't have signed that dotted line. But I I really (laughs) feel like Meta is trying to build something here with their VR work. And yeah, like, like I said, they're putting everything on the table and some of it's pretty laughable um, and expensive, but they're serious. No one can, uh, no one can debate that, that they're not serious about building like out this VR stuff. So, um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in, in the next few years. Cause they've been really working at it. So, um, but yeah, it sounds like Manny and I will not be picking up the quest pro at the end of the month. No, um, no, no, but, uh, anyways, extra long show for everybody i know we've been away for a couple weeks so this is really good to uh hang out with you manny manny uh, why don't you let everybody know where they can find you on the internet and the podcast the other podcast you do yeah so i do two podcasts um as you know from my world of warcraft talk we do for azeroth uh that is a weekly show where we talk about world of warcraft and then I also do Going IRL, which is a podcast about uh, social issues and wellness from a gaming perspective. So we talked about uh, stepping away from streaming. And we have also uh, talked about in the previous episode, uh, geek fallacies and like how we do weird things as geeks. And that's a fun show to, that I do with uh, Lex Rance. And you can find everything that I do basically through my Twitter. That's uh, true villain Manny, true without the E. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, it's too bad you didn't have the uh, buys very expensive VR headset for that <laughs> past episode. That would fit in just nicely. So uh, there you go. So definitely check out uh, Manny's other shows and follow him on Twitter. Uh, if you want to join in on the conversation, you can go to bit.ly slash TGI Discord. It's a great spot where we are doing our TGI game club and talking about extra life and uh, lots of uh, fun conversations in there. And speaking of extra life, if you want to support the team, check out our different streaming events that are going to be happening for the rest of the year. You can check out our team page at bit.ly slash TGI extra life 2022. That is going to do it for this episode. You can visit our our website, um, uh, gamersinpodcast.com. Uh, also, follow us on Twitter. You can find Jocelyn at Joss Plays, myself at R. Murphy, Manny at True Villain uh, Manny. Uh, True Villain Manny, right? Without the E. Yep. Yeah, Without perfect. E. Uh, and don't forget to follow at The Gamers In. 
thanks for staying at the Gamers Inn. Thank you so much for, uh, you know, tuning in. And uh, sorry about the delay in getting a new episode out, but we're back and feeling a, a little bit better. Be sure to tune in next week where I'm sure we'll talk about more Chris Pratt and Mario. Thank you so much. Here we go.